0: And welcome to the Book and Film Globe podcast. I am Neil Pollock, like Saul Goodman. I am not a real lawyer, but I am the editor in chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the worlds of books and film and streaming TV and so much more. We have a great show for you this week. We're going to talk to Eisner Award winning author Douglas Wolk about the new Marvel show, She Hulk Attorney at Law. Which is now on Disney Plus. We're also going to talk to Samuel Portius about Better Call Saul, which has concluded its sixth season run on AMC. But first, we're going to talk to Book and Film Globe entertainment business reporter Jake Harris about recent changes in streaming services and how that might affect you. We will be right back after this musical interlude. To the An important milestone in the last week. The number of streaming video subscribers surpassed. The number of broadcast and cable viewers combined. So here we are. The era of streaming has been completely codified. You know, there was a time when we thought you know, streaming was sort of an alternative to uh, mainstream TV. And now it is mainstream TV. And recent business doings in the streaming business have, have proven that it is very mainstream. Uh, Jake Harris has been covering developments in the industry for us, and he's here to talk to me about it. Hello, Jake. Hello. How are you? I am well. I am streaming. We all are streaming all the time. So there have been a couple of very big uh, changes which are starting to manifest themselves now in sort of what content is available and what content is not available, and you've written some pieces for us recently, uh, the first one, which at this point is, I guess you could say old news, although it's still very significant, is the, uh, the HBO Ma- changes at HBO Max, right? So tell us a little bit about what's going on there.
1: Uh, so first what happened was, uh, this was last week, almost two weeks ago at this point now, uh, HBO Max canceled the Batgirl movie uh, over at HBO. And from everything that we've heard and read about this, it was pretty much like already in the can. I think they had to do some post-production stuff on it afterwards but you know it was uh, all intents and purposes done uh, only cost them about 90 million dollars and then with the uh, regime change over at the uh, CEO level they decided to axe that and then they took off uh, a whole bunch of other stuff so uh, Samantha B a uh, a lot of other movies that uh, showed up as HBO Max programming uh, starting in the pandemic uh, some uh, Reddit viewers actually just uh, noticed it at first, where there was a couple movies that just quietly left the service for a little bit, and just no one said anything about it. And then finally, uh, they HBO came out and said that they were removing uh, just a, a lot of uh, HBO, a lot of content. And then the merger, the uh, the reason for all of that, they announced a merger with Discovery Plus uh, as a a uh, result of the uh, Time Warner, AT&T, um, everything, just that whole, like the, Warner Brothers has changed hands so many times in the last couple of years, um, but uh, it is now going to be Warner Brothers Discovery, uh, and they still they have not named uh, whatever this new streaming service is going to be, whatever HBO Max and Discovery Plus becomes, uh, but that is going to come to your TV screens and your phones sometime
0: uh, next year. So there's going to be a a combining of HBO content, which at one time was considered premium TV, and Discovery, which is a lot of, you know, shows like In Search of Hitler's Brain, you know, When Giraffes Attack, (laughs) (laughs) right, a lot of reality shows, you know, stuff that like would have, which HBO viewers, once upon a time, not anymore, would have rejected right would have considered beneath them in some ways and so so this is so now you can't really consider hbo premium tv in the way
1: it once was no i I mean and you you can now you know go right from watching the sopranos to you know chip and joe uh so you can have all of all of your needs met by one one service uh they uh they put out some slide decks from the earnings call uh Warner Brothers Discovery did about how they were looking to combine the uh quote male skewed and scripted and appointment viewing uh viewership of HBO Max with the uh so called female skewed, unscripted and comfort viewing uh viewership of Discovery Plus. And so they're they're trying to just uh, combine everything and, you know, have their cake and eat it too with all of this stuff. And it's, you know, it
0: sounds, it sounds a lot like Netflix only without the youth skewing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I think the next step with this would be, they're going to introduce something about ads the same way that Netflix has said in the past that they're going to start introducing ads. And it's, it's wild that it's taken us, you know, uh, how, when did house of cards come out? 20, 12, 2013, it's taken us like 10, 15 years to kind of come around to a model that has existed ever since cable TV was out, which was, you know, pay for stuff that works, cancel stuff that doesn't and stick ads everywhere and make money. And so it's, we've come around to the the whole concept of, you know, Uber thinking they've reinvented the bus again when it's
0: just. It's just TV, TV, Yeah, (laughs) which is, which is fine. You know, I mean, Netflix you know, Stranger Things and The Sandman exist alongside shows like Love Is Blind, right? Yeah, <laughs> the, which is, Floor, which is, floor is Lava. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I personally like all that stuff, but but then again, I you know, I watch a lot of TV. It, it's just it's I it, it's just an interesting business development with something like HBO, which once upon a time was what all the smart people, so to speak, watched, is now just another um another notch in the, in, yeah. in the yeah. streaming belt um and, and so another interesting development in the last uh 10 days or so that you covered for us was uh walmart entering yes. the streaming business which which i thought i found kind of fascinating what, what's going on there
1: yeah, so Walmart has uh, has always been in, in a big competition with Amazon, you know, ever since Amazon kind of rose to the top with uh, the free shipping model for Prime members. And so they've always been kind of trying to chase after them uh, any way they can. Um, and so now Walmart's move has been to, um, they don't own Paramount Plus, they don't, um, they're not striking a deal to take any ownership stake in it. Um, but the the partnership now is, if you, if going forward starting in September, if you want to buy a Walmart Plus subscription, which will get you uh, unlimited free deliveries of groceries, other household items, you can you know, scan stuff in the store and buy it and you get um, free shipping with stuff. Um, if you want to get that subscription, you will automatically be entered into a membership for the ad tier supported level of Paramount Plus. Uh, so if you have Paramount Plus now, uh, and you don't have anything to do with Walmart nothing's gonna change uh if you have Walmart plus now, you will automatically get that membership starting in September and if you have none of them right now and you want Walmart next month, you'll just automatically get paramount plus so
0: yeah no, this is a very savvy business move because paramount plus while sort of a free floating streaming service, yeah. you know, it has a lot of content on it that people really desire. I mean, they have, I'm well, they really had surprised
1: that the, the movie selection that they have, and then they also have a lot of good, you know, good TV, good Star Trek stuff. Good. Uh, well, they're the home stuff. of
0: Star Trek. Yeah. And they're the home of the Yellowstone universe, yes. which is extremely yeah. popular, you know, and the other, other items like Beavis and ButtHead, pretty much any CBS programming. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, there's a, there's a lot there, and in fact, I unquestionably a better selection overall than what Amazon Prime offers. And, you know, Amazon shows are um, not. There's a very mixed bag, to say the least, yeah. and they don't. And they don't have. They don't have uh, like any sort of mate. Well, they have the boys, you know, which is good, but niche. And you know, and I, I suppose they they have a, the Lord of the Rings show that's coming up, and they have a selection of movies and all that, but it's not. You know, I. If I had to pick one yeah. or the other, I would pick Paramount Plus.
1: And not for nothing, the the user experience on Paramount Plus is much easier to move around. If you're just looking for like you know to browse to look for a movie or something, uh, there's no confusion as to if you have to rent it or you can stream it. Yeah, yeah that's Prime membership that, too. So
0: yeah, and you know, in this sort of strange new world of streaming, like I don't, I don't have everything, you know, and yeah. I, I, I. I I pick up uh, HBO during seasons of shows that I want to watch. Um, I have we have Amazon Prime, so I have the Prime TV, but I can't say that I use it very much. Um, you know, I have been eyeing a Paramount Plus subscription for a long time, but I don't. I don't I mean just as a consumer. Like I'm not going to get. We have Amazon Prime. We're not going to go with Walmart, <laughs> right? You know. So basically, like you know. I saw the other day just a uh, piece that said that if you want everything, you know, Netflix, Hulu, Paramount, Amazon, um HBO, Discovery, and and so on, it's gonna cost you a hundred dollars a month.
1: Yeah, which is basically you're paying for, you know, cable at that point.
0: Right, but you don't have ca- and sling. Yeah. And you, sling Yeah, TV.
1: but you still don't have
0: that. Yeah. You still don't have cable, you know, and so you're still like, you know, like we have Sling TV, mm-hmm. but You know, I I watch sports, but sometimes I have to switch from Sling Orange to Sling Blue if I want to watch ESPN, you know, and then if I want to watch something on Bravo, I have to switch back and it's a big hullabaloo. So, you know, I don't think I don't think we're at the point yet where um, it's just it's just still kind of piecemeal. But but what we're uh, we're seeing and what you reported on so well is the consolidation has begun.
1: Yeah, I think whoever can figure out a way, like especially with um, once uh, Disney bought Fox and then got that controlling share in Hulu, it was kind of the writing was on the wall where they you can get Disney plus Hulu and ESPN plus all with one subscription bundle. Um, And so like whoever figures out a way to kind of sell all of the stuff that you would need at a wholesale rate to you is going to make a ton of money. But then again we're just right back into you know paying for a cable bundle like you would do in the 90s uh, maybe that's um
0: it, 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 maybe book and film globe will be maybe, that thing. maybe yeah maybe, maybe maybe that's our destiny to be sort of the the, the ultimate bundler of video entertainment and books
1: yeah, you gotta we'll sell and a library, yeah, sell some stuff for libraries and book of the month memberships and Yeah, uh,
0: and podcasts and Girl Scout cookies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna but we're gonna do it all. This this business is gonna be huge. And uh, Jake, you were here at the beginning, so we'll give you some shares.
1: All right, investors, if you're listening.
0: Yeah, please. Them. Please, Book and Film Globe. The the future of streaming entertainment in the world. All right. Jake, thanks so much for great pieces, and well, I'm, I know there'll be more. More consolidation is coming. Look out. All right. Thank you. The golden era of quality television came to an end this week with the final episode of Better Call Saul, the very popular prequel The Breaking Bad that aired on AMC for six seasons we ran an article about it on Book and Film Globe this week written by Samuel Porteus frequent contributor and he is here with me now to talk about Better Call Saul Uh, joining me from his home in Shanghai China this is how international of a show we are hello Samuel hi how are you doing I'm good how are things in Shanghai are you in another Covid lockdown at the moment
2: no, well, we had an interesting event in an IKEA store, where there was like one of what you you have flash mobs. We have flash lockdowns, and um, <laughs> the, but it, you know it's, it's it was very it was a very soft affair. You know, people ran out the door who didn't want to stay in, and people stayed, and within a couple hours they were uh, sent to a. Um, a sort of COVID testing facility and all that. So it's a very different regime than what you've got going in the U.S. But by and large, everybody's running around doing what they want. But there's a lot of testing. Like every week, you sort of go for a test. All right. Well, that sounds fun. So (laughs) meanwhile, uh, TV
0: TV continues. Uh, Better Call Saul has come to an end. And you were a big fan of this show. And you wrote a very comprehensive and thoughtful piece about the show and, and how it concluded and, and how um, Jimmy McGill slash Saul Goodman's arc uh, encompassed itself. Uh, so do you think that Better Call Saul achieved its goal of sort of setting up the Breaking Bad universe in, in a more complex way?
2: I think it did. Like, I think it, it was very successful in setting up the transition, demonstrating to the audience how Jimmy McGill became Saul. Uh, where I think it sort of fell down is, is in sort of the epilogue period, like how it wrapped up post-Breaking Bad. But um, I thought it was just, it was brilliant uh, with regard to both the storyline and the cinematography. And I, as I say, it, it was mostly glorious as far as its execution.
0: For those who are not familiar with this storyline, uh, Jimmy McGill slash Saul Goodman is uh, was uh, Walter White's lawyer in Breaking Bad, so sort of a sleazy um, billboard advertising lawyer uh, played by uh, Bob Odenkirk, when he's sort of in a career defining performance, and uh, it traced his life from sort of small town. Uh, I mean, not small town. He's from Chicago. Uh, Cicero, right? yeah,
2: Cicero, it's, the hard streets of Cicero, yes,
0: uh, Chicago area sort yeah. of. Working class, street tough, to being this sort of sleazy ambulance chasing lawyer in Albuquerque. Um, and it, and it, and it also provided origin stories for several other, uh, popular Breaking Bad characters like Mike Ehrmantraut, the the sort of henchman, and, and bad guy Gus Fring played by Giancarlo Esposito. A lot of, a lot of characters from Breaking Bad made appearances in the show.
2: Yeah, and, and Mike, and Mike Erentrout, the sort of, you know, cartel enforcement, I think what we have to remember, too, about Jimmy, and I think this is what's interesting and fascinating about the audience influence on this program because um, Gilligan and Gould, you would hear them being interviewed, and they'd say, "Oh, gee, I'm getting a lot of feedback that nothing better happened to Kim, you know. There better be a happy ending and stuff like that." It was sort of interesting to see that, you know, whether in fact they took this, you know, influence seriously or not. But you know, not for any spoilers. It looks like, you know, looking at the ultimate episode, they did take it seriously. That um, you know, there is a, um, there. Uh, he Saul was not just a sleazy, you know, billboard lawyer. He was a sorry, a counselor for a meth cartel. He was involved in rank criminal activity, you know, deaths. He suggested at one point, even in Breaking Bad, to Walt, Walter and Jesse that they kill someone who might testify against them. Right. So I think that willful blindness, but he was an entertaining figure. He was, you know, cartoonish. He was laughable. He broke the tension. You know, there was a lot of goodwill invested in him. And that carried over into um, Better Call Saul. And the audience was very protective, almost like a doting grandmother over some rascal grand, you know, grandchild. That, you know, oh, my little Jimmy wouldn't do that. And you do get hints of that in the storyline. That, you know, Jimmy's mother, one of the reasons Chuck, of course, his brother, the fine, upstanding lawyer, was so bitter towards Jimmy, it seems to be like there was the death scene where the mother died And the last thing she called for was Jimmy. Jimmy, of course, had gone out to get a hamburger or something. And Chuck, who was faithfully by her side, heard her call for Jimmy and plaintively said, no, no, it's me, Chuck, Mom. And she didn't want him. She wanted Jimmy, right? So it's interesting. I think it was very well, very layered and very well done how they built up that development of that character.
0: Well, you know, in the end, you can't really, you couldn't have as tragic an end for Better Call Saul as you could for Breaking Bad because... So many of the characters in Better Call Saul obviously survived to the next phase of their lives because they were on Breaking Bad, which takes place after the Better mm. Call Saul universe. So, I mean, I know the show was not, Better Call Saul is not a comedy in any, any, any real way, but um, it didn't have, the tragic arc wasn't really there in the same way.
2: Yes, and the one interesting character, of course, the, the two characters who were not in Breaking Bad were Chuck, his older brother, and Kim, his third wife. That's another issue people tend to gloss over. By the time he got to Breaking, you know, breaking Bad, um, Jimmy would have been married three times. That says something about someone, right? Not judging, but it's just it's interesting. And the, these two characters, Chuck and Kim, were the most pivotal for making turning jimmy that transformation that took jimmy into you know Saul goodman it was it was chuck who had that betrayal of his brother you know when he, he jimmy decided he would try to redeem himself and turn around and become a lawyer and you know he learned to his horror that his you know adored admired older brother you know really wanted nothing to do with him yeah and my what, favorite my what, favorite
0: moment in the show actually came in the first season where chuck says to him, you're not really a lawyer. That was just was heartbreaking.
2: Oh, yeah, and he says, and, and he has that wonderful lead-up to it, you know, it, the true definition of irony, I don't mean to hurt your feelings, you know, but you never really meant that much to me. Like, you know, there's a lead-in, right? So sure. what, 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 what Chuck did is Chuck teed up the transformation with his betrayal. Chuck teed up the transformation with his betrayal of Jimmy. And then Kim came in and developed, you know, and provided the death blow when she betrayed Jimmy and walked away from Jimmy, you know, and and demonstrated she was even more twisted than he was in her, like, as I wrote in the piece, you know, a disturbingly sadistic need to torture upstanding, handsome, uh, you know, Howard Hamlin. And, and, and what I think was really interesting was I think there was something there between those two. Like, there was a reason. I think she talked about his hair and everything. I think it was very layered and fascinating, you know, what yeah, was going on there.
0: Here's the thing about Better Call Saul, sort of in, in a meta um, meta yeah. look. Um, it, we are existing in a pop culture universe that I know you all, you enjoy as much as I do, of mm. superheroes and fantasy worlds yeah. yeah. and and, and, and magic and, and people throwing each other through buildings. And I, I, you know, I love all that stuff. I, I, am, yeah. I am not anti-Marvel Cinematic Universe. I like, all, I like all the fantasy elements and all the comic book stuff in the culture. But Better Call Saul, while not as much of a blockbuster in any way as, any, as this other stuff I'm referencing, you know, provided sort of a, a grounding element in the pop culture. You know, sort of this sort of gritty realism um, that was around, sort of, in the the um, at the dawn of what we would call the premium TV era, uh, but has faded quite a bit as we've sort of retreated into this these fantasy worlds. And I, I just find it interesting that you know, I, and there's not a, there aren't a lot of inheritors to that mantle in the moment at the moment in, in, in pop culture. So in some ways, this is one of the last of its breed.
2: Well, I think that's a fascinating comment because it's exactly that. Like, it was very much grounded in reality. Like, it reached back to, you know, the the, the classic noirs that influenced this so much. Like, those were gritty depictions of what it was like to live in, you know, post-World War II America. And I think that, you know, what we saw is, you know, uh, those lives and what it's like to live them. As opposed to what you know, what you refer to as the fantasy. You know, fantasies never deal with democracy, right? Fantasies never deal with you know the the minutia of uh, everyday life, and and make drama out of it. And this is the great you know the great uh, talent of uh, Gilgan and Gould is they took you know this this Albuquerque, and they turned it into this fascinating place with these fascinating characters in in, in a in a real time, real life society.
0: Well, like the classic noirs, though, Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad will live on forever in, on one streaming service or another. Yes. They're available to watch, and they're available to examine and to look at, and we will know, people will know in the future what it was like to live in Albuquerque. <laughs> 80s yes. And,
2: and, and to quote, what is the line from um, Ace in the Hole, Kirk Douglas, one of the classic, uh, a classic Noir set in Albuquerque, you know, even for Albuquerque, that was pretty Albuquerque. Yes, that's
0: for sure. All right, Samuel Portias, thank you for joining me to talk about Better Call Saul. Have a safe day there in Shanghai.
2: Okay, well, thank you very much, Neil. Have a good day.
0: From one lawyer to another, we go from Saul Goodman Jimmy McGill to Jen Walters and her alter ego, She-Hulk. She-Hulk, attorney at law, is now appearing on Disney+. Plus. It's a long-awaited debut for a popular Marvel character, and she now has her own show and has officially joined the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we have a special guest to talk about She-Hulk today, Douglas Wolk, author of the Eisner Award-winning book, All the Marvels probably the world's leading expert on Marvel Comics at this point. He's done it to himself, and he's here today to talk to me about <laughs> <laughs> Attorney-in-law Douglas Wilk. Hello. Hi. Good to be yeah, here. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, we're friends on Facebook, so every time a Marvel product appears, you have put up a thread sort of telling people to ask them any questions they have about the character. You know, very, you were very helpful when Ms. Marvel appeared, Thor Love and Thunder, the debut of the female Thor. And now we have, we have She-Hulk and I figured like no one could be better than you to talk about this character. So here we are. Yeah. She-Hulk, She-Hulk is here. She's, she has made appearances on Marvel cartoon shows before she was in, um, the old various versions of the Incredible Hulk cartoons. And also, a, there was a Fantastic Four cartoon that she appeared in because that character was a member of the Fantastic Four, but this is her first solo series.
3: First live action series too, which is it's that's something.
0: Yeah, this character has never appeared in live action, and you know this is a character who has um, been around for quite, not not quite fifty years. I think the the first She-Hulk comic book debuted in the late seventies, um, but she's had a number of different iterations over the years. And from what I recall, the original comic was kind of a kind of a crime melodrama. It, it, it didn't have the snark that later She-Hulk um, iterations had, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the original like Savage She-Hulk series, uh, the first issue was, well, She-Hulk is probably the last significant Marvel character to have been co-created by Stan Lee. Oh. And Stan Lee only wrote the first issue of her series. And as far as I can tell, like she was created to keep the rights for a possible woman Hulk character from
0: falling into the hands of the people who were doing the Incredible Hulk TV show. Ah, uh, so it was kind of a matter of convenience, and you know, the, but the original conception of She Hulk as uh, an attorney who is right. uh, the Incredible Hulk's blood cousin, Doctor Bruce Banner, um, it right. stands. And in the original, um, in the original company, I believe she was shot by a by a mobster of some sort, and then had to get a blood transfusion. From the Hulk, and then uh, turned into a Hulk of her own. But the difference between the Incredible Hulk and this character is that she can control her changes back and forth. She retains her considerable intelligence uh, and wit. Doesn't doesn't have the same um, out of control rage issues that the Hulk does.
3: Well, mostly, uh, you know, hulks are hulks are pretty malleable. Um, hulks go through different phases, but generally, She Hulk has been you know, she can be Jen, she can be She-Hulk. She usually prefers to be She-Hulk because she's bigger and stronger and more uninhibited when she is She-Hulk.
0: Well, that's the thing. So, okay, the uninhibited part is important because starting in the late 80s or mid to late 80s, uh, John Byrne, comic book writer John Byrne, took the character over and turned her into sort of a um, sexy good time gal who, and, and more, even more importantly than that, broke the fourth wall. Which wasn't that common in comics in those days. And she would basically wink at the audience. It was a very, very self aware book.
3: Yeah, very, very. Uh, and Byrne was on and off. Uh, she helped comic for a while. He uh, wrote and drew her initially in Fantastic Four in the early 80s and just kind of stuck with her, did a graphic novel about her, spun off into a series about her. After about eight issues, uh, he had some sort of conflict with the editor of the series. And quit, and so the ninth issue of the original She-Hulk series was called Burnout, and was just about the fact that like, wait, 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 what happened to the guy who was writing and drawing this comic before this? He's gone now. Uh,
0: That's that. That was a but that then, was a little level of self awareness that was not common in comics in those days. Yeah, no, not at all. Not, you know, um, the audiences had not quite caught up to to that uh, vibe.
3: Yeah, uh, you know it. It suits her really well as the character who can break the fourth wall. And it's not a big deal to her. You know, She's aware that she's in the comic book and eh, that's fine. Yeah, She's cool. And I it. think
0: the show, which we'll talk about in a second, the show really draws the majority of its inspiration from more modern She-Hulk iterations. The comic book writer Dan Slott and other people have
2: yeah. basically
0: portrayed her as – she's an attorney – um, who kind of goes back and forth between human and Hulk form. And she represents other Marvel comics characters in, in these absurd superhero related criminal cases. And yeah. and one gets the sense, especially from the end of the pilot episode, which admittedly is just kind of setting it all up that that's, that's what we're going to be seeing most of in this nine episode arc of the first season.
3: Yeah, uh, and I'm fine with that. I love the idea of the MCU doing, like, a full-on comedy TV series.
0: Yeah, it's like a legal comedy. It, it, you know, it has – and we're not – I'm not the first person to say this, but it reminds me of you know, Boston Public or Ally McBeal or other sort of, like, semi-ironic, not super serious law and order style legal shows, right? And so um, – you get you get that vibe. So let's let's talk about this. Well, so, I don't know. I have only seen the pilot. Like other critics have received preview episodes and have seen two or three episodes. So I'm not exactly sure where it's going. But you know, the, the pilot um is does not take itself very seriously. I mean, it is it is suffused uh with irony and it and it and it doesn't take its time um setting up the creation of the character either. Like within the first scene, She Hulk appears pretty much.
3: Yeah. Uh, and great—that's that is what I want from a TV comedy. Like I want it to move fast.
0: Yeah, it's fast and it's and it's snappy. There's like a essentially like the, the vast vast majority of this episode is just a long training montage between yeah. basically <laughs> between uh, Jen Walters slash She Hulk and her uh, and and Mark Ruffalo's uh, smart Hulk it, it, it yeah. is who shows up here. And I don't know, it's okay. <laughs> You know, I wasn't laughing. I wasn't roaring with laughter during this thing. It, it was fine. I thought it was it, it was cute. I, I I felt like the episode could have used um, I don't know. I think maybe the pacing could have been a little bit better. You didn't need. I didn't need the. I didn't really like the flashback structure. You know, it basically starts with a record scratch. Like, oh, this is me. I bet you wonder how I got here. You know, right? <laughs> Literally, oh, it starts, and that's like one of the biggest cl- narrative cliches in TV and film. But I don't know. I mean, it's, I thought it was, I thought it did its job pretty well.
3: Yeah. Um, it's charming. It's cute. I'm curious to see what's, what's next for it. Uh, I gather there's going to be like, once it's set up the premise, like she's a lawyer and she's a Hulk and let's go. Uh what what's beyond the origin has a lot more possibilities for comedy. Yeah.
0: And, you know, judging from the trailers, you you can, you've seen um, guest appearances from certain daredevil is going to be in this. The abomination Mm -hmm. is going to be in this. And, but you know, there's nine episodes and I don't think, I I think they held some stuff back. I think we're going to see other characters that uh, have, have not appeared yet in uh, Marvel, the the MCU. They're, they're kind of teasing the thing. Which would, which I think people would really enjoy. Uh, oh, that'd be nice, you know. Right? He hasn't shown up yet, um, and, and and I think there will be some other surprises as well. I also think, you know, one of the uh, main themes of the comics is sort of Jen Walters, single gal, you know, right. like a kind of a Sex in the City vibe. Like she takes off her shoes in the courtroom so she can turn into She Hulk to fight a bad guy, <laughs> you know
3: yeah there there's uh there's a little bit in the trailer where she's you know carrying like flipping through uh dates on uh on tinder or something and then you see her out out at dinner with one and then like two seconds later she is carrying him across the threshold of her apartment yeah
0: there's a there's a meme on Twitter that I've seen with that photo and and the the caption is death by snoo snoo yes <laughs> um so I think we're gonna we'll see some of that I don't know I mean I'm not I I am uh, I'm, I'm going to watch it all the way through. This is a character who I um, you know have been familiar with for years, and you know it's it's nice to see uh, the MC, the MCU sort of branching out. And I feel like this is not uh it, it hasn't been a real disaster. I, you could argue that Eternals was a bit of a disaster, but I don't think this this is on that level.
3: Yeah, it, I mean it's not trying to be Eternals. Like Eternals was. Trying really hard to do something and it's kind of a mess. Um, this is just like we're doing a law comedy. Great. This is the character to do a law comedy with.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sets it up pretty well. So here we are. She-Hulk is here. She's here. And uh, whether or not we, whatever our opinion of it is, it doesn't really matter at this point because I think this is going to be a character who is established uh, from here on in. I guess we should also talk about Tatiana Maslany uh, from Orphan Black, who 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 uh, plays the show, who plays the character. I mean, she's, you know, the show's gonna rise and fall on her performance, and I, I felt like she uh, embodied the character pretty well. You know, I, it was um, surprising to me how small she seemed in her Jennifer Walters form. Like she was like small. Just, like that's a. Small...
3: Yeah, I mean, well, we, we see her in her cousin's lab, and everything in the lab is Hulk sized, so she's just. You know, uh, like 60% of the size or less of uh, somebody who would be able to, to use that lab. I'm like okay that's that is a good touch like, she is entering into this gigantic world that she doesn't want to be part right. of. She like keeps hammering in like I'm not interested in being a superhero. I have a whole career as a lawyer. that is my life. I want to get back to it.
0: Well, like, okay i like, oh, all right I well go for she's bad. gonna get her wish she's a superhero and a lawyer and we will, we'll see what happens. Uh, all right, Douglas. Thank you so much. You. All right, thanks, Douglas Wolk. She-Hulk Attorney at Law, now airing on Disney+. Plus. Also thanks to Samuel Porteous for talking to me about Better Call Saul, which is now done and will be archived forever in pop culture and TV memory. And also to Jake Harris for talking to me about changes in Paramount Plus and in HBO Max. Streaming business is no longer a little upstart. It's now a big corporate thing, and maybe we shouldn't have started down this path in the first place. But it's too late now. Here we are. I'm Neil Pollack. I'm the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the worlds of books and film and streaming TV and much more. Thank you for joining me. This week on the podcast, we will talk to you soon. You can buy the books discussed on the Book and Film Globe podcast at The Bookhouse, Book and Film Globe's independent bookstore. Go to The Bookhouse Milburn, M I L L B U R to shop online and support small independent booksellers. Or visit our actual physical site in Milburn, New Jersey where you can buy books from all the authors featured on The Dark Word and the Book and Film Globe podcasts, bookhousemilburn.com
1: Audio Hopper.